Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, America. Welcome to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and like the rest of you, I am happy to see that America survived the midterms. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, those midterms uh, through much of this episode of the podcast. But as always, we're going to start off with our recap of where we are with COVID. Uh, We're at 97.9 million cases in this country. Uh, 1,074,000 people have died from the disease and 642 million people have gotten vaccinated. That includes first and second doses and likely boosters as well. Uh, On the monkeypox, the spread of that disease seems to be slowing. We're at 28,881 reported cases. So we continue to see perhaps some trending where that may be um, receding ever so slightly. The uh, respiratory virus, though, seems to be gaining steam as we now come into the flu season and uh, hospitalizations are up. Hospitals are saying if you have the symptoms of the RS, RVR um, virus, uh, they're saying don't go to the hospital immediately because hospitals are getting overloaded. Instead, reach out to your doctor or medical professional uh, for possible treatment you can do at home uh, before you uh, go to the emergency room. So and that's good advice. And of course, you know, we want to make sure that we're taking all of the precautions that we have come to know and love uh, in the last two and a half years with masks and distancing and hand washing and general good hygiene. So let's make sure we're doing what we can to stop the spread of these diseases. All right. So as I said at the top, uh, America has survived the 2022 midterms. Uh, after all of the, the hype and hoopla, the name calling, the mudslinging, and all the other stuff that's gone on for the last you know, two years, Uh, We now uh, are down to the vote counting. And while uh, the votes for who is going to control the House are still up uh, for grabs and being counted in several states around the country, what is clear is that the Democrats uh, have retained control of the Senate. And if the uh, Democratic candidate in Georgia... Uh, the Reverend Senator uh, Warnock is successful in his runoff against uh, his opponent, Herschel Walker, uh, the Democrats will actually have a 51-49 majority. And that will be, although slim, uh, will be a lot more comfortable than a 50-50. It means they they do have a vote to give uh, with Kamala Harris there to break any ties. So now that the, the voting is done and the counting is almost done, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, things that we have learned and are learning about what transpired with the 2022 midterms. Uh, first and foremost, you know, as I said, the Democrats uh, showed up much better than anyone expected. If you remember, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, you know, out, you know, from a few weeks ago to a couple of months ago, uh, everybody was uh, calling for a supposed red wave that the Republicans were just going to roll through the House and and Senate and get, you you know, record numbers of seats acquired for their party. Well, that didn't materialize. And we're going to look at um, some of my thoughts as to why that was. Um, but first, let's talk about the, um, the House and you know, what happened with the House uh, elections at the national level uh, was that uh, the American voters seemed to reject much of the you know, MAGA Republican uh, so-called platform, uh, much of their talking points, much of the things that they were talking about uh, in the run-up to the election. And, you know, and uh, this carried through not just with the House of Representatives, but what we saw in 
the down ballot races at, at the state levels uh, in terms of governors, in terms of secretaries of state, uh, the election deniers had a very poor outing this time around in the midterms. Uh, the American public rejected almost all of the uh, so-called uh, election deniers uh, that were on the ballot in favor of, on the Republican side, uh, more traditional Republican candidates. And, and by traditional, I mean those that were more in line with some of the longstanding values of the Republican Party. Uh, apparently, the, the influence of the 45th president uh, wasn't uh, all that effective uh, with many of the people that he endorsed. Uh, and, and, you know, they were uh, defeated in races that were being projected as easy victories. And, um, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about this episode, and we've talked about this on this show more than once in the last couple of months, is I want to talk about uh, the influence and outcomes and the effect of polls. But before we get to that, just to, to continue the, the original thought, uh, Democrat, Democrats clearly overperformed with, uh, against their expectations or the expectations for them in this past election. Uh, everybody expected that Democrats uh, were going to lose the House by a wide margin, uh, that the Senate was in deep jeopardy of being uh, converted to Republican control, and as I said, while the, the House is still uh, up in the air, uh, it is still most likely that the numbers are going to fall in the favor of Republicans. However, what uh, projections are showing is that rather than you know, having a multi-seat uh, majority in the House, you know, uh, something like uh, 225 to... Uh, 211 uh, or, or 209, uh, something like that, uh, it is becoming more and more likely that the House is going to either, is going to have likely a one or two seat Republican majority. And we'll put a pin in that because we're going to come back and talk about the impacts of that uh, in, you know, the, the balance of the show. Uh, so, you know, that you know, turns out to be actually something of a victory for Democrats because having such a slim majority by the Republicans in the House uh, is going to do a couple of things. Number one, uh, it is clear that they don't have a, quote, mandate, close quote, to just do whatever they want. Um, they are actually going to have to put in the work to govern uh, if there are, you know, moderate Republicans who do not toe the line with the uh, extreme right, the MAGA right uh, wing of the party, uh, it'll be much easier for them to break camp and, you know, and, and vote with the Democrats on certain issues uh, rather than you know, just uh, lockstepping with the conservative right uh, on all matters. Now, that's not to say that you know, the Democrats can count on, you know, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten, twelve Republican votes on on some measures. However, one of the things that became clear uh, as the results for the midterms uh, came in was that the influence of you know former President Trump and the MAGA Republicans uh, has definitely uh, lost some of its steam, and with that in place. Uh, there are perhaps some moderate Republicans out there who will be more willing to break camp uh, because you know they they believe that you know the 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 Trump factor has been uh, significantly weakened and you know the electorate uh, sent a message to the ultra right to the MAGA Republicans that um, you know you you don't have you don't have carte blanche uh, to propose and do whatever you want. Now, on the Democratic side, when we talk about lessons learned, 
I think the number one thing Democrats need to take away from these midterms, um, absolutely number one, top of the list uh, with a bullet, is Democrats, you have got to up your messaging game. Uh, clearly, uh, if the Democratic message uh, messaging efforts had been stronger and more pointed uh, and more confrontational with Republicans, you would have done much better. Uh, you might even have uh, or you might even be able to have a pretty solid path to controlling both the House and Senate again. Uh, but the Democratic message in this election cycle for the midterm was weak, uh, was unfocused, and was basically uh, soft, is I, I think the word that one could use for it. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot of clear, hard hammering on the Republicans, who, by the way, did not put forward a Republican platform for the midterms. Republicans have not put out a party platform in the last uh, four or five election cycles, including midterms in general uh, at the national level. They have not stated any kind of hard positions on the issues. Instead, what the Republicans have been focused on is attacking Democrats, uh, character assassination, and you know that kind of thing. Uh, and riling up the base on conspiracy theories, lies, and, and other half-truths, uh, and rather than telling the American people, this is what we believe, this is what we want to do, and most importantly, uh, this is how we're going to do it. That has not occurred. And Democrats don't gloat because you haven't done it either. The Democrats have not clearly stated how they are going to govern. One of the things I noticed in you know the the recent elections, when compared to uh, elections from you know 15, 20, 30 years ago, is in in the the you know in the past, uh, Democrats and Republicans would not only state what their position was, but how they intended to govern to achieve it what action steps they were going to take, you know, what was going to be the outcome, and give the American people the facts and the information they needed so they understood what it is not only that you stand for, but what you're going to do. And we have lost the, that art in our election uh, politics uh, over the last couple of decades. Uh, so Democrats... You need to, to uh, take your message game, you know, a, a, as Emmer would say, and crank it up a notch. Uh, Republicans, you need to, to get off of the personality politics and get more into the issue-specific and substantive political discussions. Uh, so, you know, that, that is takeaway number one, is that messaging uh, on both sides left a lot to be desired for different reasons, but still a lot to be desired. Um, as I said, the, the Trump influence in the Republican Party was uh, a lot less effective uh, in these midterms than it had been in the past. However, uh, Democrats, you should not be crowing about you know, that. Um, your, uh, your image and, and the the power of your message and your platform uh, was was and is suffering from the uh, poor popularity ratings of the current president, which, uh, as of uh, I looked at the numbers in recording this show, is orbiting somewhere in the the low to mid forties, um, and you know that is among the lowest ratings of any president in the last, uh, I don't know, 40 years. And the, the upshot of that is when you have a weak president, uh, one that, that is struggling to get a solid message out there, uh, it damages what, what you look like to the voting public. So 
you know, again, uh, Democrats have, uh, assuming, assuming that we are looking at a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. Democrats, you have got to be ready to step up for the fight that's about to come. Uh, you have to uh, work hard to get your message out to the people, to get the people behind you, to get them communicating with their representatives and their senators in order for your agenda to get accomplished. Republicans, you have to recognize and go back to being uh, a political party, not a personality party. Uh, the, the childish attacks, the, the conspiracy theories, you know, all of that BS uh, may sound good and may, may play well on mainstream media. But at the end of the day, when voters take that private moment to select who they want to lead them, that does you no good. So, you know, the, the upshot for both parties is politics and how you play that game has got to change. And it has to change drastically. Um, and also, let me tag in a message there for uh, independent, nonpartisan, you know, third party people. You guys uh, need to find a way to, you know, build coalitions, to build partnerships, to uh, to come at the Democrat and Republic, I'm sorry, Democratic and Republican parties uh, and hold them to task. When there is a debate uh, that you are participating in, whether you're, you know, libertarian or, you know, Green Party or whatever, um, you need to be challenging the Democrats and Republicans with the positions uh, that they need to answer to. And, you know, we haven't seen that uh, partly because the system is sort of skewed toward you know, favoring Democrats and Republicans. So, you know, there was, you know, a, an article uh, in, in uh, Politico came out on the 9th, which was two days after the election. Uh, before we knew what the outcome of the Senate was going to be. And they were talking about another, a number of points that uh, were, were takeaways uh, from, the, the, from the midterms. Um, one of the things they mentioned, which you know, I picked up on and, and all of that, is the absolute negative effect of extremism in politics. You know, and, and it's not an exclusive to the Republicans only. Uh, as it says in the article in, Poli in Politico, extremism is a democratic issue too. Uh, it says all year, and especially in the closing days of the campaign, Democrats cast themselves as a mainstream alternative to the excesses of the GOP. But despite the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the hundreds of election deniers Republicans put on the ballot, voters on Tuesday did not appear to see it that way. Um, and again, keep in mind that this was done, you know, almost immediately after uh, the voting had concluded. Um, preliminary exit polls about equal proportions of voters said Democrats and Republicans were too extreme. So, you know, it, it hurt Republicans that abortion ranked high on voters list of concerns just behind inflation. And some of the most prominent Republican election deniers went down including Doug Mastriano, the Republican gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania, uh, as well as, you know, Mehmet Oz and, you know, uh, many others across the country. And, you know, so we, we learned from this that extremism is not something that you can build a political campaign on. All right. And the last point I want to make uh, as we, we do this analysis is something that I've been talking about on this show for uh, uh, a few episodes uh, lately. And briefly, that is polls. So almost as bad as the polls were at predicting what was going to happen in 2016, where everybody kind of, you know, the pollsters were all firmly touting the fact that Hillary Clinton was going to mop the floor with Donald Trump, and that didn't happen. They were 
almost all totally wrong. Well, a, a similar event happened in this midterm election where almost all of the polls were predicting this overwhelming red wave when in fact what we got was a, a small red ripple. Um, you know, and it, it just points out something that I've, I've mentioned on this show many times. Um, ignore the polls. Don't pay attention to what the pollsters are telling you. Remember, and we, as we talked about and dissected how polls work, they're trying to predict what you know millions of voters, uh, and you know it, it, it's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood uh, between 80 and 100 million voters that end up having cast ballots in the midterms. They are trying to predict you know what these people are going to do based on questions they ask to a couple of thousand people. Now, you know, that you can do the math and run the algorithms and, you know, get what's called a, a statistically accurate, in quotes, sample, but there is still that unknown factor about, you know, the, the 900 or, or 900,000 or, you know, 9 million or 90 million people who didn't get asked any questions and what they're going to do. One of the things that we have learned also is the mechanisms by which polls are collected miss significant amounts of relevant voters, most specifically young people. Uh, young polls typically uh, rely, and although they, they have improved and they are using, you know, communicating via wireless technology, but for the most part, much of their groundwork is done using landlines. And young people don't have landlines. They are a cell phone-driven uh, group. So, you know, until polls get better at reaching out to the cell phone users out there, uh, their numbers are still going to be skewed and suspect. So... All right, so let, let's kind of recap some of the things that happened in the midterm. Uh, you know, number one, uh, even though many of the pollsters were saying that the uh, abortion issue and Roe v. Wade and, and, um, and all of that had dropped in importance to the voters, uh, it still... Uh, was a significant factor. There were five states that had um, ballot measures uh, that voters were asked to decide on, uh, both enshrining abortion rights into their state constitutions and also uh, ones that would have restricted access to reproductive care. What happened was in uh, all five states that had ballot measures uh, to enshrine, you know, uh, abortion rights to enshrine the the right to reproductive services into state constitutions. All of those initiatives passed. Um, we had, um, in addition, we had two states, Montana and Kentucky that rejected measures that would have restricted access to reproductive care. And, you know, much like we saw back in August when everybody was predicting that the deep red state of Kansas was going to put a ban abortion, um, you know, measure into their constitution, the voters absolutely rejected that and turned it around by a very wide uh, margin. Now, that's, that's not to say that, you know, it's, it's out of the woods. However, it does show that what we were seeing about, you know, the 70% of Americans who favored having uh, some form of reproductive rights as, as part of the Constitution uh, made their voices heard. So, you know, that's, um, that's something that uh, the, the pro- uh, the pro-choice movement uh, clearly uh, got a vindicating um, mark from voters on that issue. 
Another huge takeaway from the midterm elections um, are the statistics on the age groups of who voted and you know where those votes broke down. So um, NBC News did a survey and what they found was that uh, for those voters 18 to 29, 63% of them voted Democrat uh, compared to only 35% who voted Republican. In the age group 30 to 44, 51% voted Democrat to 47% voted Republican. It wasn't until you got to the age group of 45 to 64 and 65 and older that you see a leaning toward voting Republican over voting Democrat. 45 to 64, uh, 44% voted Democrat, 54% voted Republican. 65 and older, 43% voted Democrat, and 55% voted Republican. So clearly, um, there was a large split in where younger voters, those under 45 years of age, um, were much more in tune with the Democratic um, campaign than the Republican. Uh, so Republicans have a, an age issue that they need to address. Uh, in addition, uh, some other groups that you know uh, abandoned or walked away from the Republican Party in large numbers were women um, of, of just about all age groups. And that can clearly be laid at the feet of the Republican-driven decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and severely curtail uh, women's reproductive rights in this country. Uh, so, you know, Republicans, uh, you need to read those tea leaves and understand that, you know, while you may think that, you know, an issue like that is important uh, to the perspective of an older white male, which, you know, most of the Republican Party uh, consists of, uh, clearly, uh, women have a differing opinion, and particularly younger women uh, have a much differing opinion. So, you know, the the commentary was that you know it, it is was not going to be a major issue in the election, and you know Republicans were were touting this you know three, four, five, six months ago uh, after the overturning of you know uh, of Roe. And it turned out to have remained a very key issue uh, for the midterms. So, you know, lessons to be learned. And, and we've got some more that we're going to talk about uh, after we take our break. So stick around. Uh, we got some more interesting things uh, to discuss on outcomes from the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, thank you for, and for being with us here on the Fired Up Podcast, and we'll be right back after this message. We're often influenced by what we see and hear online. Researchers say Black communities have been specifically targeted online by bad actors that post false information about cultural issues, attempting to increase divisions in Black communities, influence how we vote, and influence public opinions. Here's how to stop the spread of cultural disinformation. Get information from reliable sources like experts, researchers, or organizations. Make sure you're not misled by information or quotes shared out of context. Check the account. Was it recently created or has zero followers? It may be a troll bot. If a story seems suspicious, don't share it with your followers. Together, we can stay informed and empowered. This public service announcement is from the National Black Cultural Information Trust. Learn more at NBCIT.org. All right, and we're back. Thank you for that public service announcement from NCIT. And uh, let's continue with our discussion of uh, what we're learning as a result of the 2022 midterms. Uh, first and foremost, and, and picking up on what we were saying in the first part, uh, we learned that several of the 
strategies, uh, particularly the Republican strategies, that they thought would swing the the electorate heavily in their favor actually did not materialize that way. Uh, You know, there were, you know, any number of pundits and pollsters uh, that were saying up to, you know, even a few days before the, uh, the midterm election day uh, that the Republicans were going to, you know, basically have somewhere between a red wave and a red tsunami. Uh, and, you know, the mainstream media uh, had picked up on that thread and was running with it for all it was worth. You know, as we've learned or as we are learning, um, while you know the outcomes, particularly in the House, uh, still seem to lean Republicans' way, uh, the Democrats actually have retained control of the Senate, and uh, based on the expected outcome of the senatorial runoff in Georgia, uh, they actually will come out of the midterms with a 51-49, um, or yeah, 51-49 uh, edge in the Senate. Uh, That's going to mean a couple of things for Republicans. Uh, They are still free to bring impeachment charges, if they so wish, against President Biden. But given the Senate being Democratic, uh, there will be no conviction on it. Uh, Second, you know, it, it is going to put a damper on some of the efforts that they have expressed that they wanted to do with, um, you know, laws that uh, would impact other uh, rights such as LGBTQ uh, rights and gay marriage uh, and and so forth. Uh, Republicans are going to need to rethink their strategies on that. Uh, And, you know, other than, uh, you know, appropriate cases coming up uh, to the Supreme Court, uh, the idea of you know codifying these these things or their opposition to these things into law uh, is likely not to happen at least in the next two years. So you know we'll see how all of that plays out. Uh, in in a, a future episode, we will talk about once once the dust has settled on all of the midterms, uh, we'll we'll have a conversation about how that may or may not impact. Uh, the work of the Supreme Court, which will continue to have its uh, conservative majority, uh, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, something else I wanted to add when we talk about uh, what happened, you know, Republican versus Democrat in the elections, uh, let's not overlook that in the state races, um, several Republican governorships. Uh, were were turned were flipped as well as several uh governorships that were up for uh vote uh came back democratic rather than republican uh likewise there were um a number of secretaries of state who you know were election deniers uh who were you know up for election and the voters rejected them as well so, you know, in, in many ways, it was a pretty widespread and deep um, correction on the Republican intention for what was supposed to be the outcome of the 2022 midterms. Um, there were a couple of uh, controversial things that uh, were part of the midterm picture. Uh, one, uh, and this was an article that came out of the Huffington Post, Again, uh, this was a couple of days after the election on November 9th. Um, and this was uh, the article by Kevin Robillard uh, of the Huffington Post. Uh, talks about how the Democrats' elevation of Republican candidates who were election deniers or QAnon conspiracy theorists or you know, big lie believers. Uh, and you know, they had received... Uh, they, being the Democrats, had received you know, a pretty significant amount of criticism for what they were doing. In fact, that they were uh, placing money uh, to elevate these Republican candidates. Uh, and the, the article goes, you know, starts off as throughout the late spring and into the summer, 
Democratic operatives made a series of risky choices to elevate Republican candidates who wholeheartedly em embraced former President Donald Trump's cornucopia of lies about the 2020 presidential election. In Republican primary after Republican primary, Democrats aired ads serving two purposes, promoting seemingly unelectable candidates uh, to the GOP base while attacking them for a general election audience. The ads noted how close the Republican candidates were to Trump, played up their support for strict restrictions or bans on abortion and other things the GOP base loved, but general election voters hated. On election night, those risky bets paid off. All six of the election-denying candidates on the ballot whom Democrats boosted, three gubernatorial candidates, two House candidates, and a Senate candidate lost, most of them resoundingly. Uh, as I said, initially the strategy was met with scorn and incredulity from never-Trump Republicans. Other Democrats from across the party's ideological spectrum said the strategy was unwise, immoral, or both. 35 former Democratic elected officials signed a letter suggesting the party was playing with fire. Uh, one quote is, Our democracy is fragile, and therefore we cannot tolerate political parties attempting to prop up candidates whose message is to erode our dedication to fair elections. Uh, you know, Senator Mitt Romney, who is a Republican, told the Huffington Post in July, be careful what you wish for. You may elect somebody who actually wins and then you hurt the country as well as your own party. So, you know, there there was that episode. As I said, it, it, it received a fair amount of scorn from, you know, uh, Democratic mainstreams as well as, you know, uh, condemnation from, you know, Republican uh, operatives as well. Um, you know, they, they, they played this game, and, and uh, another example of that, uh, if you're, you're going to look for, you know, some candidates to see the effect, uh, State Senator Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania and Maryland State Delegate Dan Cox would win gubernatorial, gubernatorial primaries they were likely to win anyway. Uh, but the Democrats used these tactics on them. Both ultra-conservative candidates ran nearly non-existent general election campaigns, and the Democrats romped in the two mid-Atlantic states. Uh, so, you know, it, it was clear that, you know, as we say on this show all the time, um, that the games are being played by both sides. Now, you know, love it or hate it, uh, the Democrats in, in this case uh, took a page from the Republican playbook and, you know, did this promotion of, you know, the candidate they believed that they had the best chance to beat. Uh, and, you know, in, in the Democrats' case, this time uh, the strategy paid off. It's no guarantee that it would work again in the future, but in, in this case, uh, it did. Um, so, you know, another case, Senator Maggie Hassan was considered vulnerable in the Granite State, uh, but after hammering Bolduc for a variety of extreme comments and positions on everything from abortion rights to the FBI to the opioid epidemic, she ultimately cruised to an 11-point victory a margin better than President Biden's 2020 presidential win over Trump. So, you know, there, there was a lot of unusual and atypical strategies that were applied in the 2020 midterms. Now, you know, we, we could also talk about um, Representative Peter Meyer, who's uh, a Republican in Michigan, a military veteran and heir to a grocery store fortune who represented a district based around Grand Rapids uh, had become a darling of never-Trump Republicans after supporting Trump's impeachment. Democrats boosted his opponent, John Gibbs, with ads in the primary spending more on the spots than Gibbs had managed to raise himself. Um, so, you know, it, it's clear that 
you know, this strategy, while risky, in this case, paid off for the Democrats. Um, it, it, it's clear also that there could be some repercussions from this. Um, Meyer, for his part, according to the article, had fumed in an essay written shortly before his loss. Uh, and a quote, Republican voters will be blamed if any of these candidates are ultimately elected, but there is no doubt Democrats' fingerprints will be on the weapon. We should never forget it. And I, for one, believe that it is likely that they won't. Um, you know, and you know, there, were, there was down south, we had uh, an interesting collection of states uh, with ballot initiatives uh, dealing with the issue of slavery. Uh, or more accurately, indentured servitude. Uh, and this comes from Vice News. Four out of five U.S. states voted, anti, uh, voted anti-slavery in the midterms. Uh, and it states that five states across the U.S. had the issue of slavery on the ballot in Tuesday's midterm elections. And in all but one of these places, the anti-slavery vote is set to prevail. While it may come as a shock that slavery is still technically legal more than 150 years after the end of civil war, the practice of forced labor remains widespread in American prisons. Prison labor is expressly protected by the 13th Amendment, which prohibits slavery and, in, and involuntary servitude, quote, except as a punishment for crime. Nearly 20 states still have language in their constitutions to enshrine forced labor in prisons with incarcerated men and women working for as little as 13 cents an hour while making billions of dollars worth of goods uh, for the companies that they work for. Uh, Louisiana was the lone pro-slavery state with voters rejecting a constitutional amendment to curb the use of involuntary servitude in state jails and prisons. Louisiana has one of the most notorious prison labor systems in the country with its maximum security state prison in Angola operating as a work camp on what was once an 8,000 acre cotton plantation manned by slaves. So, you know, this also uh, was rejected by the voters. Uh, and to give you an idea, uh, many of the constitutions that support this involuntary servitude, their constitutions read in, in similar language, uh, slavery and involuntary servitude are prohibited except in the latter case as a punishment for a crime. Uh, and the, the amendments would have prohibited these practices but left a loophole saying the restriction should not apply to otherwise lawful administration of criminal justice. So, you know, it, it's interesting that, as the article says, 150 years after the end of chattel slavery, uh, we still have, you know, effect, effectively and de facto slavery occurring uh, in modern America. Uh, the article concludes with uh, the local advocacy organization Council, Council for a Better Louisiana uh, was also opposed to the amendment. And they're quoted as saying, this amendment is an example of why it is so important to get the language right when presenting constitutional amendments to voters, the group said. Because uh, because of the loophole, Louisiana's law was not, uh, or, or constitution was not amended. So, you know, there's still you know, work to do those were five states, and according to the article, there are more. There are uh, at least twenty that have similar language uh, in their constitutions or laws on their books. So you know, there's there's still some more work to be done in that area. Uh, so at, at the end of the day, a, as we look at the outcomes of the 2020 midterms, um, notwithstanding the fact that you know control of the House of Representatives is not yet decided, that is, not all the ballots have been counted, uh, but it is still uh, presumed and likely that Republicans will get to 218 
uh, seats in the House, thus giving them uh, the majority. Uh, but that is a far cry from what they were projected to get, which was somewhere north of you know 230 seats, um, which is more in line with the historical precedent that we we see of you know in 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 the midterm elections, the the party in power typically loses an average of 26 seats in the House and five seats in the Senate. So in, in this case, the Democrats have outperformed history in that it, it looks like they may lose one, they, they may have a one or two seat uh, minority in the House and have a uh, one seat uh, or, or two seat uh, advantage in the Senate. Uh, three, if you count the fact that they have uh, Vice President Harris sitting as the president of the, the Senate. So you know, what does this all mean? Uh, it, it means that, you know, while it is not an end to the uh, ultra right influence in the Republican Party, um, MAGA is still out there. Uh, also, you know, on Tuesday the 15th, when this program is, is set to air, Donald Trump will be making what he says, quote, a very, very, very important and special announcement, uh, broadly speculated to be his announcement to run for president in 2024, uh, which means on the one hand that we're only going to get a very short uh, respite from political ads and all of the political hype that goes with an upcoming election. And number two, that the, the crazy talk of the you know, ultra right wing MAGA movement or whatever you want to call it is and will be a part of our political landscape uh, for a while yet. And, you know, I would venture that given the new realities of, you know, the the House and Senate at the national level and the, you know, governors and secretaries of state and and uh, state houses and state senates um, as well, that we are going to still need to uh, be vigilant. Uh, I would expect that the Republicans will get even more insidious in their methodologies and approaches to achieve you know their agenda goals so we we need and and we being the voters the citizens need to make sure that we are communicating uh, on a regular and frequent basis with our elected officials um, at the, the local state and federal level uh, to make sure that we let them know that you know the the 2022 midterms uh, may have been just the beginning of you know a purge uh, that could happen in this country if you know these radical ideas continue. And to my Republican friends out there, as I've said before, you need to think clearly about what your you know elected officials, what your Republican elected officials want to do. They want, among other things, to put, you know, your social security benefits on a five-year time clock in one version and on a one-year time clock that is an annual renewal uh, in another version of a bill that has received discussion and uh, could possibly be promoted in the upcoming new legislature. Um, So, you know, that's, uh, as I've said before, that is not a proposal that's only going to affect Democrats. It's not a proposal that's only going to affect people of color. It will come for you in the rural communities. It will come for you in the suburban communities. Uh, it will come for you know all of you who reach the the age of inclusion into Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Um, if it is on a five-year cycle, that means every five years the risk is there for your Social Security checks to be eliminated. 
uh, or your Medicare payments for your for your medical care to be eliminated. Um, or if like, you know, like my father, you live in assisted living and Medicaid pays for that uh, every five years, that could go away and that cost will be thrown back on to you. Um, so just be aware that, you know, while you may support, you know, these these Republican efforts, uh, don't think that, you know, they're not coming for you as well. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, the other thing is for Democrats, as I said at the top of the show, the Democratic message in the 2022 midterms was weak at best. Uh, and frankly, you guys got lucky that so many things that the Republicans did and specific members of Republican leadership did and spoke about and and roused up uh, the rabble about helped you immensely in getting you know the the Senate back in your control and minimizing the damage done to your control in the House, even though Republicans will take it over, having a, you know, a one vote or a two vote or a three vote uh, margin means that in order for them to get things done, they're going to have to get every one of their caucus members on board. And there are moderate Republicans out there, uh, such as the ones that voted for the Infrastructure Act. Uh, such as the ones that have voted for several other pieces of Democratic legislation that benefit their constituents, uh, that you know, they are going to uh, be able to be peeled off. And, you know, your, your, <laughs> your how do I want to put this? Your superiority, your overwhelming control uh, could be fleeting at best. So, you know, and finally, for us as constituents, as voters, we need to, as I said, continue to communicate, continue to make our opinions known and let our elected officials know that, you know, they can be removed as well. Uh, you know, we need to be working at the local level to find those uh, moderate and progressive Republican and Democratic candidates who think the way the majority of people in this country think. And we need to elevate and promote and escalate those people to elected office so that they can begin to move up the chain into the national political scene. So, you know, it, it is clear that this midterm election was an inflection point. Uh, it, it recognized that to, to a, a real extent, the American people are tired, if not getting tired, of the personality politics, the character assassinations, the cancel culture approach, and all of this that political leaders have been doing over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, I think that that run may be coming to an end. And in related to that, there was an article in Raw Story that came out on the 12th, and it cites uh, an interview that Republican Senator Josh Hawley, you remember him, he's the one that walked uh, in front of the protesters at the Capitol and gave them the raised fist bump, uh, and then later on became a, a viral internet meme as he scurried across the aisle after they had breached uh, the Capitol building, that Josh Hawley. So Josh Hawley, it was quoted, and, and again, this comes from Raw Story, uh, and the, the article reads, it's very short, so I'll, I'll read the whole article for you. Um, Republican infighting escalated on Saturday after Democrats were projected winners of the U.S. Senate following the 2022 midterms. Uh, it started before the polls even closed on Election Day, with Donald Trump attacking Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell on Fox News. And it escalated further on Saturday after Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto triumphed over Republican Adam Laxalt in, no in Nevada 
securing control of the U.S. Senate. Well, Senator Josh Hawley declared the time of death at 9.39 Eastern on Saturday night for the Republican Party. He said, quote, the old party is dead, time to bury it. And he posted that to social media. He suggested, quote, build something new. The Republican old party, uh, also known as the grand old party, it's where the GOP comes from, uh, was founded 168 years ago in 1854. So Josh Hawley is saying that, you know, essentially the old ways aren't working anymore. Uh, Republicans, we need to build a, a new and better Republican party. And I'd have to say in this particular instance, I agree with him. You know, the, the Republican Party um, was always uh, a, a party of concern uh, for specific uh, ideals in, you know, American society and in the American country. They were pro-business. They were... Uh, you know, for small but responsive government. You know, it, it wasn't always the way it is today. And what Senator Hawley is saying is that uh, they need to rebuild the Republican Party in something that is more akin to what the Republican Party historically was. And again, it goes back, you know, 1854. Um, so that's like 160 years uh, for that political party. So, you know, that's that's just a, a quick and dirty look at things we've learned from the 2022 midterms. Um, as we get more and more analysis and, you know, as the Democrat and Republican parties uh, do their own postmortems of the election and uh, come back with, you know, the reasons for successes and the reasons for failures, uh, that information you know, we will also analyze and bring to you because I think there are some valuable lessons to be learned uh, that we the people need to learn in order to better uh, give our elected officials direction on where we want them to go. Uh, as you know, we often say on this show, they work for us. It's not the other way around. And we need to, you know, be as vocal and as communicative and as intense as we can in order to make sure that our elected officials, all the way up and down the line from state to federal, are responding to the wishes of the people. And, you know, if that means that you know, we need to find some new people to represent us because they aren't, then so be it. So just, uh, you know, a, a first crack at what we've learned from the 2022 midterms. Uh, we'll touch back on this as more and more insights come out over the coming weeks. Uh, and, you know, we, as I said, as of, you know, today when this is this is airing, uh, we'll have information on what the super special you know, announcement coming from uh, former President Trump will be. Um, the betting, the odds are betting that it's, he's announcing you know, his run for president. So we will, we will look at that in next week's show and kind of give our thoughts and, and reporting on what the reactions are uh, going forward. So, as always, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, please stay safe. Please keep yourself healthy. Uh, you know, get your vaccinations, protect yourself, and, you know, uh, just, just be happy. Take a moment, breathe a sigh of relief because the midterms are over, and at least for, you know, a few days or maybe even a few weeks, we get a respite from intense political bombardment. Uh, and so I, for one, am looking forward to the peace and quiet. So uh, with that said, folks, have a great week. Uh, stay safe. I look forward to bringing you guys another episode of Fired Up right here on WJMS Media in seven days. Mm -hmm.